0: Tonight, we continue our story, The Jungle Book, by Rudyard Kipling. Are all well in the jungle, said Mowgli, hugging him. All except the wolves that were burned with the red flower. Now listen. Shere Khan has gone away to hunt far off till his coat grows again, for he is badly singed. When he returns, he swears that he will lay thy bones in the Wangunga. There are two words to that. I also have made a little promise, but news is always good. I am tired tonight. Very tired with new things, Grey Brother. But bring me the news always. Thou wilt not forget that thou art a wolf. Men will not make thee forget, said Grey Brother anxiously. Never. I will always remember that I love thee and all in our cave. "'but also I will always remember that I have been cast out of the pack, "'and that thou mayest be cast out of another pack. "'Men are only men, little brother, "'and their talk is like the talk of frogs in a pond. "'When I come down here again, "'I will wait for thee in the bamboos at the edge of the grazing ground. "'For three months after that night, "'Mowgli hardly ever left the village gate.' He was so busy learning the ways and customs of men. First he had to wear a cloth round him, which annoyed him horribly, and then he had to learn about money, which he did not in the least understand, and about ploughing, of which he did not see the use. Then the little children in the village made him very angry. Luckily, the law of the jungle had taught him to keep his temper, for in the jungle life and food depend on keeping your temper but when they made fun of him because he would not play games or fly kites or because he mispronounced some word, only the knowledge that it was unsportsmanlike to kill little naked cubs kept him from picking them up and breaking them in two. He did not know his own strength in the least. In the jungle he knew he was weak compared with the beasts, but in the village people said that he was as strong as a bull. And Mowgli had not the faintest idea of the difference that caste makes between man and man. When the potter's donkey slipped into clay pit, Mowgli hauled it out by the tail and helped to stack the pots for their journey to the market at Kanewara. That was very shocking, too. For the potter is a low-caste man, and his donkey is worse. That was very shocking, too. For the potter is a low-caste man, and his donkey is worse. When the priest scolded him, Mowgli threatened to put him on the donkey, too. And the priest told Messua's husband that Mowgli had better be set to work as soon as possible. And the village headman told Mowgli that he would have to go out with the buffaloes next day, and herd them while they grazed. No one was more pleased than Mowgli, and that night, because he had been appointed a servant of the village, as it were, he went off to a circle that met every evening on a masonry platform under a great fig tree. It was the village club, and the headman, and the watchman, and the barber, who knew all the gossip of the village, and old Boldeo, the village hunter, who had a tower musket, met and smoked. The monkey sat and talked in the upper branches, and there was a hole under the platform where a cobra lived, and he had his little platter of milk every night because he was sacred. And the old men sat around the tree and talked and pulled at the big hookahs, the water pipes, till far into the night, they told wonderful tales of gods and men and ghosts, and Baldiel told even more wonderful ones of the ways of beasts in the jungle, till the eyes of the children sitting outside the circle bulged out of their hands. Most of the tales were about animals, for the jungle was always at their door. The deer and the wild pig grubbed up their crops, and now and again the tiger carried off a man at twilight within sight of the village gate. Mowgli who naturally knew something about what they were talking of, had to cover his face not to show that he was laughing, while Boldeo, the tower musket across his knees, climbed on from one wonderful story to another, and Mowgli's shoulders shook. Boldeo was explaining how the tiger that had carried away Mowgli's son was a ghost tiger, and his body was inhabited by the ghost of a wicked old moneylender who had died some years ago. "'And I know that this is true,' he said." "'because poor Undos always limped from the blow that he got in a riot "'when his account books were burned. "'And the tiger that I speak of he limps too, "'for the tracks of his pads are unequal.' "'True, true, that must be the truth,' said the greybeards, nodding together. Are all these tales such cobwebs and moon talk,' said Mowgli. "'That tiger limps because he was born lame, as everyone knows.' To talk of the soul of a money-lender and a beast that never had the courage of a jackal is child's talk. Bolio was speechless with surprise for a moment, and the headman stared. Oho! It is the jungle brat, is it? said Bolio. If thou art so wise, better bring his hide to Kaniwara, for the government has set a hundred rupees on his life. Better still. Talk not when thy elders speak. Ugly rose to go. All the evening I have lain here listening, he called back over his shoulder, and except once or twice, Bolio has not said one word of truth concerning the jungle, which is at his very doors. How, then, shall I believe the tales of ghosts and gods and goblins which he says he has seen? "'It is full time that that boy went to herding,' said the headman, while Boldio puffed and snorted at Mowgli's impertinence. "'The custom of most Indian villages is for a few boys "'to take the cattle and buffaloes out to graze in the early morning "'and bring them back at night. "'The very cattle that would trample a white man to death "'allow themselves to be banged and bullied and shouted at by children "'that hardly come up to their noses. "'So long as the boys keep up with the herds, they are safe.' for not even the tiger will charge a mob of cattle. But if they straggle to pick flowers or hunt lizards, they are sometimes carried off. Mowgli went through the village street in the dawn, sitting on the back of Rama, the great herd bull. The slaty blue buffaloes with their long, backward-sweeping horns and savage eyes rose out their buyers one by one and followed him, and Mowgli made it very clear to the children with him that he was the master. He beat the buffaloes with a long polished bamboo, and told Kamya, one of the boys, to graze the cattle by themselves, while he went on with the buffaloes, and to be very careful not to stray away from the herd. An Indian grazing ground is all about rocks and scrub and tussocks and little ravines, among which the herd scatter and disappear. The buffaloes generally keep to the pools and muddy places where they lie wallowing or basking in the warm mud for hours. Mowgli drove them on to the edge of the plain where the Wangonga come out of the jungle. Then he dropped from Rama's neck, trotted off to a bamboo clump, and found Grey Brother. Ah, said Grey Brother, I have waited here very many days. What is the meaning of this cattle herding work? It is an order, said Mowgli. I am a village herd for a while. What news of Shere Khan? He has come back to this country and has waited here a long time for thee. Now he has gone off again, for the game is scarce. But he means to kill thee. Very good, said Mowgli. So long as he is away, do thou or one of the four brothers sit on that rock, so that I can see thee as I come out of the village. When he comes back, wait for me in the ravine by the dock tree in the center of the plain." We need not walk into Shere Khan's mouth. Then Mowgli picked out a shady place and lay down and slept while the buffaloes grazed round him. Herding in India is one of the laziest things in the world. The cattle move and crunch and lie down and move on again, and they do not even low. They only grunt, and the buffaloes very seldom say anything, but get down into the muddy pools one after another and work their way into the mud till only their noses and staring china-blue eyes show above the surface, and then they lie like logs. The sun makes the rocks dance in the heat, and the herd children hear one kite, never any more, whistling almost out of sight overhead, and they know that if they died, or a cow died, that kite would sweep down, and the next kite, miles away, would see him drop and follow, and the next and the next, and almost before they were dead there would be a score of hungry kites come out of nowhere. Then they sleep and wake and sleep again, and weave little baskets of dried grass and put grasshoppers in them, or catch two praying mantises and make them fight, or string a necklace of red and black jungle nuts, or watch a lizard basking on a rock, or a snake hunting a frog near the wallows. Then they sing long, long songs with odd native quavers at the end of them, And the day seems longer than most people's whole lives. And perhaps they make a mud castle with mud figures of men and horses and buffaloes and put reeds into the men's hands and pretend that they are kings and the figures are their armies or that they are gods to be worshipped. Then evening comes and the children call and the buffaloes lumber up out of the sticky mud with noises like gunshots going off one after the other and they all string across the grey plain back to the twinkling village light. Day after day Mowgli would lead the buffaloes out to their wallows, and day after day he would see grey brothers back a mile and a half away across the plain, so he knew that Shere Khan had not come back. And day after day he would lie on the grass listening to the noises round him, and dreaming of old days in the jungle. If Shere Khan had made a false step with his lame paw up in the jungles by the Waganga, Mowgli would have heard him in those long, still mornings. At last a day came when he did not see Grey Brother at the signal place, and he laughed and headed the buffaloes for the ravine by the dak tree, which was all covered with golden red flowers. There sat Grey Brother, every bristle on his back lifted. He is hidden for a month to throw thee off thy guard. He crossed the ranges last night with Tabaki. Hot foot on thy trail, said the wolf, panting. Mowgli frowned. I am not afraid of Shere Khan, but Tabaki is very cunning. Have no fear, said Grey Brother, licking his lips a little. I met Tabaki in the dawn. Now he is telling all his wisdom to the kite, but he told me everything before I broke his back. Shere Khan's plan is to wait for thee at the village gate this evening, for thee and for no one else." He is lying up now in the big dry ravine of the Winganga. Has he eaten today or does he hunt empty, said Mowgli. For the answer meant life and death to him. He killed at dawn, a pig, and he is drunk too. Remember, Shere Khan could never fast, even for the sake of revenge. Oh, fool, fool, what a cub's cub it is. Eaten and drunk too, and he thinks that I shall wait till he has slept? Now where does he lie up? If there were but ten of us, we might pull him down as he lies. These buffaloes will not charge unless they wind him, and I cannot speak their language. Can we get behind his tracks so that they may smell it? He swam far down the Wenganga to cut that off, said Grey Brother. Tabaki told him that I know he would never have thought of it alone. Mowgli stood with his finger in his mouth, thinking. The big ravine of the Wenganga. That opens out on the plain not half a mile from here. I can take the herd round through the jungle to the head of the ravine and then sweep down, but he would slink out at the foot. We must block that end. Grey Brother, canst thou cut the herd in two for me? Not I, perhaps, but I have brought a wise helper. Grey Brother trotted off and dropped into a hole. Then there lifted up a huge gray head that Mowgli knew well, and the hot air was filled with the most desolate cry of all the jungle, the hunting howl of a wolf at midday. Akela, Akela said Mowgli, clapping his hands. "'I might have known that thou wouldst not forget me. We have a big work in hand. Cut the herd in two, Akela. Keep the cows and calves together, and the bulls and the plow buffaloes by themselves.' The two wolves ran, ladies' chain fashion, in and out of the herd, which snorted and threw up its head, and separated into two clumps. In one, the cow buffalo stood with their calves in the center, and glared and pawed ready. If a wolf would only stay still, to charge down and trample the life out of them. In the other, the bulls and the young bulls snorted and stamped, but though they looked more imposing, they were much less dangerous, for they had no calves to protect, no six men could have divided the herd so neatly. What orders, panted Akela? They are trying to join again. Mowgli slipped onto Rama's back. Drive the bulls away to the left, Akela. Grey brother, when we are gone, hold the cows together and drive them into the foot of the ravine. How far? Said Grey brother, panting and snapping. Till the sides are higher than Shere Khan can jump, shouted Mowgli. Keep them there till we come down. The bull swept off as Aquila bayed, and Gray brother stepped in front of the cows. They charged down on him, and he ran just before them to the foot of the ravine. As Aquila drove the bulls far to the left. Well done! Another charge, and they are fairly started. Careful now, careful, Aquila. A snap too much, and the bulls will charge. Hoja! This is wilder work than driving black buck. Didst thou think these creatures would move so swiftly? Mowgli called. I have have hunted these two at my time, gasped Akilah in the dust. Shall I turn them into the jungle? Aye, turn, swiftly turn them. Rama is mad with rage, or if I could only tell him what I need of him today. The bulls were turned to the right this time, and crashed into the standing thicket. The other herd children watching with the cattle half a mile away hurried to the village as fast as their legs could carry them, crying that the buffaloes had gone mad and run away. But Mowgli's plan was simple enough. All he wanted to do was to make a big circle uphill and get at the head of the ravine, and then take the bulls down it and catch Shere Khan between the bulls and the cows. For he knew that after a meal and a full drink, Shere Khan would not be in any condition to fight or to clamber up the sides of the ravine. He was soothing the buffaloes now by a voice and Akela had dropped far to the rear, only whimpering once or twice to hurry the rear guard. It was a long, long circle, for they did not wish to get too near the ravine and give Shere Khan warning. At last, Mowgli rounded up the bewildered herd at the head of the ravine on a grassy patch that sloped steeply down to the ravine itself. From that height you could see across the tops of the trees, down to the plain below. But what Mowgli looked at was the sides of the ravine, and he saw with a great deal of satisfaction that they ran nearly straight up and down, while the vines and creepers that hung over them would give no foothold to a tiger who wanted to get out. "'Let them breathe, the he said, holding up his hand. "'They have not winded him yet. "'Let them breathe. "'I must tell Shere Khan who comes. "'We have him in the trap.' He put his hands to his mouth and shouted down the ravine. It was almost like shouting down a tunnel, and the echoes jumped from rock to rock. After a long time, there came back the drawling, sleepy snarl of a full-fed tiger just wakened. "'Who calls?' said Shere Khan, and a splendid peacock fluttered up out of the ravine, screeching. "'I, Mowgli, cattle thief!' It is time to come to the Council Rock. Down! Hurry them down, Akela. Down, Rama, down! The herd paused for an instant in the edge of the slope, but Akela gave tongue in the full hunting yell, and they pitched over one after the other just as steamers shoot rapids, the sand and stones spurting up round them. Once started, there was no chance of stopping, and before they were fairly in the bed of the ravine, Rama winded Shere Khan and bellowed. Ha! Ha! said Mowgli on his back. Now thou knowest! And the torrent of black horns, foaming muzzles, and staring eyes whirled down the ravine just as boulders go down in flood time, the weaker buffaloes being shouldered out to the sides of the ravine while they tore through the creepers. They knew what the business was before them the terrible charge of the buffalo herd against which no tiger can hope to stand. Shere Khan heard the thunder of their hoofs, picked himself up, and lumbered down the ravine, looking from side to side for some way of escape. For the walls of the ravine were straight and he had to hold on, heavy with his dinner and his drink, willing to do anything rather than fight. The herd splashed through the pool he had just left, bellowing till the narrow cut rang. Mowgli heard an answering bellow from the foot of the ravine and saw Shere Khan turn. The tiger knew if the worst came to the worst, it was better to meet the bulls than the cows with their calves. And then Rama tripped, stumbled, and went on again over something soft, and with the bulls at his heels, crashed full into the other herd, while the wicker buffaloes were lifted clean off their feet by the shock of the meeting. That charge carried both herds out into the plain, goring and stamping and snorting, Mowgli watched his time and slipped off Rama's neck, laying about him right and left with his stick. "'Quick, Akela! Break them up! Scatter them, or they will be fighting one another! Drive them away, Akela! Hi, Rama! Hi! 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 My children! Swiftly now, softly! It is all over!' Akela and great Brother ran to and fro, nipping the buffalo's legs, and though the herd wheeled once to charge up the ravine again, Mowgli managed to turn Rama, and the others followed him to the wallows. Shere Khan needed no more trampling. He was dead, and the kites were coming for him already. Brothers, that was a dog's death, said Mowgli, feeling for the knife he always carried in a sheath round his neck now that he lived with men. But he would never have shown fight. His hide will look well on the council rock. We must get to work swiftly. A boy trained among men would never have dreamed of skinning a ten-foot tiger alone, but Mowgli knew better than anyone else how an animal's skin is fitted on and how it can be taken off. It was hard work, and Mowgli slashed and tore and grunted for an hour while the wolves lolled out their tongues or came forward and tugged as he ordered them. Presently a hand fell on his shoulder, and looking up he saw Baldeo with the tower musket. The children had told the village about the buffalo stampede, and Buldeo went out angrily, only too anxious to correct Mowgli for not taking better care of the herd. The wolves dropped out of sight as soon as they saw the man coming. "'What is this folly?' said Buldeo angrily. "'To think that thou can skin a tiger!' "'Where did the buffaloes kill him?' "'It is the lame tiger, too, "'and there is a hundred rupees on his head.' "'Well,' Well, we will overlook thy letting the herd run off, and perhaps I will give thee one of the rupees of the reward when I have taken to skin the Kaniwara. He fumbled in his waistcloth for flint and steel and stooped down to singe Shere Khan's whiskers. Most native hunters always singe a tiger's whiskers to prevent his ghost from haunting them. Hum, said Mowgli, after himself, as he ripped back the skin of a forepaw so thou wilt take the hide to Kaniwara for the reward, and perhaps give me one rupee. Now it is in my mind that I need the skin for my own use. Hey, <laughs> old man, take away that fire. What talk is this to the chief hunter of the village? Thy luck and the stupidity of thy buffaloes have helped thee to this kill. The tiger has just fed, or we would have gone twenty miles by this time. "'Thou canst not even skin him properly, little beggar brat, "'and forsooth I, Boldio, must be told not to cinch his whiskers. "'Mowgli, I will not give thee one anna of the reward, "'but a very big beating. Leave the carcass!' "'By the bull that bought me,' said Mowgli, "'who was trying to get at the shoulder, "'must I stay babbling to an old ape all noon? "'Here, Akela, this man plagues me.' Boldio." was still stooping over Shere Khan's head, found himself sprawling on the grass with a grey wolf standing over him, while Mowgli went on skinning as though he were alone in all of India. Yes, he said between his teeth, thou art altogether right, Buldeo. thou wilt never give me one anna of the reward. There was an old war between this lame tiger and myself, very old war, and I have won, to do Boldeo justice, if he had been ten years younger, he would have taken his chance with Akila had he met the wolf in the woods. But a wolf who obeyed the orders of this boy, who had private wars with man-eating tigers, was not a common animal. It was sorcery, magic of the worst kind, thought Boldeo, and he wondered whether the amulet round his neck would protect him. He lay as still as still, expecting every minute to see Mowgli turn into a tiger too. Maharaja. Great king, he said at last in a husky whisper. Yes, said Mowgli, without turning his head, chuckling a little. I am an old man. I did not know that thou wast anything more than a herd's boy. May I rise up and go away, or will thy servant tear me to pieces? Go, and peace go with thee. Only another time do not meddle with my game. Let him go, Akela." Bolio hobbled away to the village as fast as he could, looking back over his shoulder in case Mowgli should change it to something terrible. When he got to the village, he told a tale of magic and enchantment and sorcery that made the priest look very grave. I want to remind you that we're always on the hunt for great public domain stories like this one to feature on the podcast. If you know of any, please let us know. Email me, bigvoicej at gmail.com. We now have a YouTube channel of some of our greatest stories. Go to tiny.cc slash bvjbedtime. And if you'd like to support the show, there's a Buy Me A Coffee link on every page and post. Don't forget to give us a review on iTunes. It helps to spread the word that we're putting people to sleep, that we're putting people to sleep every single night. Thank you so much for listening. Good night.